Why, hello there, fellow creatives. Thank you for returning and tuning again to another edition of the Don't Think Act podcast. I'm starting this one with some feedback, which is really nice. Um, I didn't expect to get any so soon. Um, Someone has very kindly written in, and I thought it was only fair to um, read it out. Uh, This is from Dom from London, and um, he's put, just finished the podcast. Great work. Really enjoyed listening to Katie slash Catherine. Nice to hear the story of the 99% of the acting trade. Just throwing it out there. If you can, maybe have some backstage people. Would love to hear their stories of how they get into it, how they've been keeping up with the changing tech. It sounds like you had a good laugh and there's some awesome questions. You, sir, are a natural presenter. Can't wait to hear more. Thank you, Dom. That feedback means so much. And um, I am really enjoying this. Um, Not the feedback, the whole process. Loving the feedback, though. Ops. Um, And yeah, like that is something I would love to. If this grows, we'll see. We'll see where we go. We're all all in this together. You, the listener, me, the creator. And um, it would be great to talk to technical people. Um, it would be great to speak to directors and producers and writers down the line. Um, I've got some people lined up that have had varied experiences um, and sort of start in one place, start with acting or performing and, and end up somewhere else. So as we go along, we'll see how this evolves. But I'm totally up for that. If you haven't noticed by now, love chatting creativity. So thank you. Thank you, Don, for your feedback. That's brilliant. Anyone else? If you have feedback or maybe there's questions you'd like to suggest that I ask in my interviews, or even better, you've got a funny or cringeworthy audition story, please email don'tthinkactpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, I only want your listening experience to get better as I do the craft of acting. So um, without further ado, let's get on to the third episode. Um, this is with uh, David Herzog. He's an American actor and I could listen to him talk for hours he's just so lovely insightful and delightful we cover quite a bit in this one including how he adapted um after moving countries to pursue acting Uh, we talk about the cultural differences between americans and british and uh there's some disney chat too so plenty to get your teeth into um so kick your feet up sit back relax and enjoy another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail.
thanks for so much for coming on um don't think act uh, uh really fascinated to, to to learn more about your 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 journey with acting and creativity and, and how it started sure. and where it's brought you and how you feel about it. Um, so I like to start right at the beginning, David. So where were you born? So I'm originally from Springfield, Ohio. There's like a Springfield in every state. I got caught in the one in Ohio, which was a great place to grow up. And like an awful lot of places in uh, the States, it, uh, well, it was it was kind of very sports heavy town, and I sort of managed to sort of weasel my way into the theatrics when they started doing like shows for kids and stuff like that in that neck of the woods. So it was it was uh, like I said, a decent place to grow up, but also it, it, it was at least versatile in some of the stuff that they offered kids to do in their spare time. I discovered eventually, so very very lucky in that regard. Right. Okay. We say versatile. How how do you mean? Like I said, I think what's nice about a lot of pockets in the States is there's a lot of options for kids to enter the arts, which is great. It's mm -hmm. not just all about soccer and football and baseball and all that kind of stuff, although that stuff's important and it has its place. I was lucky enough that when one of the local universities offered acting classes for kids, I thought, oh, that's something else I can try. I didn't know that you could actually try that and give that a shot. I just thought the only options available to me were you know, soccer and baseball and stuff like that. And then I just sort of discovered the world of, you know, dance lessons and singing lessons and all kinds of stuff. And I thought, oh, this might be something I can get myself into. So it was, I was a lot more versatile than I, than I knew at the time at my young age. Yeah. Great. So, and, um, was it, so it was fun growing up, you know, right? It was, it was a typical sort of very laid back conservative big city, but Spring, Springfield's a nice town. Ohio's a great state. And like a lot of actors in that neck of the woods, again, I once I discovered that theater was a thing I could do there, then I cut my teeth in high school musical theater plays and, you know, what you guys would call amateur dramatics here. Mm -hmm. We just call community theater in the state. So plenty of sort of amateur groups there doing shows all year round and stuff like that. So I was, I was very lucky with the programs that I had around me and it was very supportive as well. So is it fair to say that uh, acting came to you quite young then? Not as young as most people like, I, you know, you and I have worked with a lot of people over the years who've been doing shows, whether it's commercials or, you know, West End as, you know, child stars, stuff like that, who've been, my goodness, they've been acting since, you know, they were four, five, three years old, younger, so you never know. But and I've also met people equally in the States who said, oh, I knew when I was five years old, I wanted to be an actor. I knew if I, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor until I was like 21 Right. You know, I didn't know. I was too busy playing Legos and video games. I had no aspirations as a child. <laughs> I would, but I suppose that lent itself better to picking up theater and singing and dance and stuff like that because I just did it for the fun of it. Mm. I just launched myself into it. I was just a creative kid. Yeah. I was just as happy doing that and then, you know, doing reproductions of Jurassic Park in my <laughs> my bedroom growing up with my action figures. <laughs> Amazing. But I was, yeah, I, did, I certainly had no aspirations of doing it as a kid, although I have met plenty of people who, you know, either were doing it at a young age or who knew at a young age that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, brilliant. And um, and where do you live now? Well, so I'm based in North Wales now. And you know, I first moved to this country. This is my 16th year now. I moved here August of 2007. So it's been 16 years in the UK for me. 
And first place I lived was Liverpool, got my master's there, went to Lippa when they still had a graduate program there. And spent a couple years there, a few years in London where I met yours truly. And also mostly just Liverpool and London. Then my wife and I moved back here because my wife, April, um, is from North Wales originally, basically. And we moved back here 2016 to be closer to her family. So now we're hanging out here. Brilliant. And um, so you went to, when you came from the States, did you go to Liverpool first? And, and yeah, uh, exactly. for the listeners, Liverpool Institution of Performing Arts. That's uh, it, yep. Which is a very, very uh, extremely competitive sort of drama program to get involved in. I mean, I, I back in the day, I applied there and didn't even get a response. <laughs> yeah. But so to, to have got to audition and to actually get into the into the, the program. And um, what, what yeah. was that like? What the audition process? Yeah. Oh, and why, and why there? What made you go there? Well, basically, it's considered in the States, depending on what kind of acting you want to go into, it's considered very good standing to have a master's degree. So I did not go to Lipper for their main drama program. I went for their master's degree program. I got a great undergraduate degree at Wittenberg University in Ohio. And then, but like I said, a lot of the guys who were serious about graduating from there and going into the business, we all tried to go for uh, master's degrees and things like that. So schools like Lipa from all over the world, not just the States, but from all over the world come to the big cities once a year in the States like New York, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, I think was the other big one they used to do. And you do what they call these cattle call auditions, which I don't know, they do them too many times here in the UK. These companies will rent out a theater and there'll be like a representative or two from each school. So mm -hmm. if you think about like an auditorium that's got like 2,500 seats, you could be seen by literally dozens upon dozens of schools all in one go. You go out on this empty stage, do your monologue, do your song. It's nerve wracking as all get out because you've got over here, you got Carnegie Mellon. Over here, you've got Yale School of Drama, you know, our big drama schools. Yeah. You've got Harvard, you got all these big schools. And then, you you know, if you're lucky, you've got places like RADA, you got places like LIPA also in the audience who've made the trek to the States. So I auditioned for them that way. And, you know, to an American, let's face it, getting a British degree under your belt's got to be one of the coolest things you could do. It's like, come on, the land of Shakespeare and all that, you know, who wouldn't, what American would not want a British degree under their belt? So I, as soon as, uh, it, only Lippa and uh, one of the big schools down in Florida offered me a spot that year, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. It's, as you know, it's wonderful just to be offered anything. But I thought, now nah, Lippa's the one for me, especially when I saw that that was um, sort of co-run by Paul McCartney and being a Beatles fan and my family being big Beatles fans, I'm like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. I'm going. I'm 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 taking that deal. Brilliant. And, and do, you, do you remember what your your audition was when you performed? Yes, I remember that I did. I would have prepared a speech from Thornton Wilder's The Matchmaker. That's a famous American play. If if you know Hello Dolly the musical, that's the play that that's based on. So I remember right. I did a speech from that. I did the Cornelius Hackle's um, closing speech in that. And what else? I did a speech from the Laramie Project, another very famous um, documentary-style American theater piece. Both great plays if you haven't read them. And then I also did this random song from a musical, this like Wild West musical, not Wild West, but like a Western-style musical called Shenandoah. And I just remember I, I went and did my best. And um, one of the gentlemen who was on the panel, I remember... 
<laughs> one of the traditions they had at Lipa when you graduated was reading out your audition notes from when you auditioned for them. Oh, nice. And apparently the, my audition notes were something along the lines of very talented guy, but man, does he need our help. Something like that. So it was it was like half deprecating, half they could see that there was, you know, something there that was at least worth working with and hanging out with. They did a lot of improv sessions as well and stuff like that. But it was it was a good audition and I, I knew that was the right spot for me and that coming to the UK was the right thing for me to do. And and what was that like, that that move? Obviously, I'm assuming that was was that the first time you left the country? Or Properly, yeah. I dipped into Canada a couple of times very quickly for quick trips and things like that. But this was certainly my first time overseas. Yeah. And oh, it was it was uh, it was a lot. It was not necessarily a culture shock. You know, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of links between America inside the UK that are just sort of unavoidable. I think just the biggest difference was making sure I craned my neck the right way to look the right way across the street. Once I sort of sorted that out man i was fine and uh, everything else was sort of like little cultural tidbits here and there that i picked up learning little things like like oh you can't go to kroger's anymore to, for you know if you want medicine you got to go to this weird place called boots and it's like you have to learn little things like that and it's kind of like the school of hard knocks in that sense no, nobody teaches you this you just kind of got to ask around and be nice and little things as well like you know british lingo You've probably seen me post this on Facebook, fella. Like, I've been here 16 years. I still hear British people say stuff. But I'm like, where did that come from? I've never heard that in my – and to be fair, my wife says the same thing about me. She's like, where did where did that Americanism come from? Never heard that. And you yeah. learn these little idiosyncrasies over time. I learned very, very quickly the hard way the difference between – hope I'm allowed to say this on the podcast. Of course you will. Pants and un pants and underwear and trousers. <laughs> and the difference between those – I learned the hard way, man, because I, I had a very you know small um, sort of dorm situation when I was at LIPA, and it had no laundry facilities. So I had to make friends with my classmates really quick or have a 20-pound cab ride to the nearest laundromat. So there was this wonderful young lady who I um, – uh, was friends with her name was Jess Buxton. She was on the course with me and um, shout out to Jess. If you're listening, it was wonderful. <laughs> she let me use her laundry facilities. And this is like day, this is like the first week of class. I show up randomly. We barely know each other, everybody in this class. And I sort of loudly announce in my American voice to everybody. I was like, Jess, I'm so sorry. I think I left my pants at your place last <laughs> night. <laughs> And Jess was like, oh, hey, what Dave means is, what he means is, right, he lets, he's doing laundry, trousers. And he's like, right, Dave, this is what trousers mean. This is what pants mean. I'm like, I, I didn't know this stuff. So little things like that were tricky. Just kind of you learn as you go, you know. <laughs> there was there was so much to unpack for the, for the, for the British among that audience at the time, I imagine. Um, and you never stop learning either. No, no, absolutely. That's brilliant, though. And um I mean that, but that's really lovely that like that was like sort of day one. You had someone that you could rely on for like because it's it's it is small things like that that help you settle in. I would assume and um, totally. And then uh, were, were there other international students there at the time? Yeah, Lipa at least at the time was had a huge international uh, student population and a lot of Norwegians as well. I think one of their big donors was uh, a, a Norwegian citizen, so a lot of Norway students. 
um, very diverse. And uh, I was at least one of four Americans on my particular course. And we had a gentleman from Finland as well, people from Scotland, Northern Ireland. It was it was very diverse. And uh, what was lovely was Lippa had like an international student's day for us all to get acquainted and um, sort of, again, sort of talking about the idiosyncrasies of the culture. And but uh, I don't know what was cool was uh, just a small story. I remember the Liverpool Police Department even showed up of all people and said, here are the numbers to call. When you get in trouble, here's what you call if it's not an emergency and sort of like little life hacks to get us through there. And they tell us cool stuff like, you know, why do the bobbies wear the tall hats? Why do the people in the, wear these short hats? All kinds of cool stuff. And reminding the Americans, you know, we don't all carry firearms here. <laughs> so don't be looking for them. We're walking down the street. But it was really sweet. And they actually went door to door and uh, checked on all the international students, made sure we were all doing OK. So mad props to the Liverpool Police Department. That was a really nice touch. Again, that's only another cool story as well, because one day they knocked on my door again checking to make sure I was doing okay. And about a group of like eight LIPA students walked by and they're like, oh God, is Dave okay? Oh, what's going on? And like, we saw the police at your place, man. Is everything all right? I'm like, it's cool. They're just being good. They're doing community policing that are stopping by making sure we're doing okay. So that was kind of too helpful in, in some ways, but it was still, again, makes for a cool first timer story when you first moved to this country. You know, that, that sounds really lovely. I mean, um, because it was, it was. The closest uh, contact we had with the police when I was at university, because we went to we went to an arts college, went to Dartington College of Art, which has since closed. Uh, so we did a yeah. theatre, and it was very out there, and people did a lot of crazy things. And so uh, a couple of students decided to like rent the college van and drive around the local town uh, with a fake gun held to the driver's head. So that's oh, part of police. Uh, arms response unit at the oh, on campus no when they all turned up with a variety i mean they were armed that day <laughs> oh man that sounds like something more they do in my neck of the woods not necessarily yours <laughs> so yeah that you had a much more positive experience than police than, than we did um, right right yeah, yeah which was good <laughs> so um have you now have you found a place for yourself in acting that you prefer? Like, is it on stage? Is it on screen? Is it a specific style? Where, no, where? fabulous question. I would say the answer is no. I haven't, and that's kind of because of the way the sort of British market is. When I left Wittenberg, my undergraduate in Ohio, I wanted to be a musical theater performer for sure. That was where I excelled. When I went to Lippa, they sort of trained us in everything, but I still wanted to be a musical theater kid. And I found very quickly that I'm living in a country. You know, granted, I had the means to audition for the West End in theory as soon as I left drama school when I got an agent. But that sounds great on paper. But in practice, I'm trying to audition, you know, in a country the size of Ohio's bigger than England. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. As far as I know, Ohio is a bigger state than England is a country. It's pretty comparable anyway. Whereas in the U.S., you've got – you don't just have Broadway. You don't just have Chicago and L.A. for musical theater. Vegas is a big musical theater town now. There are dozens of national tours going out, both union and non-union. There are and, – and, you know, I know this doesn't sound like Texas or Alabama, but people in Texas and Alabama want their musical theater too. Yeah. And so there's good work to be had in the big cities down there. When I lived in the States, I essentially, <clears throat> excuse me, I essentially didn't stop working in terms of musical theater work there because the demand was so high there. Granted, the pool of actors is massive there, 
but there were still at least more opportunities there. Whereas here, I found, oh, it's the West End. It's a few national tours. That's about it. Let's face it. Most people can, within their means, can pop down to London for a West End show. If they can't do that, the big shows are going to be coming through your neck of the woods pretty soon. And you got your choice of stuff to see. The States, it's the demand for musical theater is much bigger. So I found out very quickly I had to adapt to other styles of acting and other formats of acting if I was going to survive in the industry. So I've mostly learned very quickly how to um, audition better for screen acting, film, television, short films, commercials, and most of them not successful, of course, as the business goes, but enough of them to successful to, you know, keep me, keep me entertained throughout the year and keep me not fed necessarily, but at least a few gigs here and there on the CV to, to keep rolling. And, and in the UK, I've basically just learned to go where the work is. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a lot of it, but you, you, you adapt, you know? Well, I think I think adapting is the is the key to this business because it's it's forever changing. Um, yeah, and uh, you know it's it doesn't the um, yeah it, I mean it doesn't it doesn't stop getting harder and harder I guess and, and I think you know we'll get we'll get to COVID in a minute but that also had a huge effect on, sure. on the industry as well. Um, because what did you start out doing style-wise, fellow? What format of acting did you start off? Did you did you start off with one, or and have you sort of diversified as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, so I've always been a film buff. Um, yeah. So screen acting is where I uh, I've sort of pretty much ended up. But yeah, started everyone starts stage here. No one starts on on film unless sure, you know, sure, I suppose so. Yeah, lovely pushy parents that get you an agent at three years old or something. But um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I started on stage. And um, I did a device theatre course in my degree, so I rolled around on the floor for three years. They gave me a degree, um, <laughs> and um, and then and then I I came out, and um, I think I I I found quite a common uh, issue in starting in the business, which was going to agents and agents saying, "Will you in anything? What can we see you right, in?" Right. And yeah. me saying, well, I can't get work without an agent. And now you're telling me I can't get an agent without work. And I don't, I don't really think, I don't think much has changed um, other than it is easier now to reach out to people and to connect with people and to collaborate than when I first started. Um, sure, sure. So I think, uh, you know, the one positive thing for the industry that the internet's given is, is being able to connect with people or find out about networking evenings or theatre scratch right, right. or writing groups or right. whatever it is that you you know so you yep. can go and meet other creatives because it's you're so isolated when you start um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I, I didn't go to drama school um, but a lot of the people that I know that did go to drama school it doesn't feel like from their experience that they were prepared on what to do once they've finished the course um yeah that's a common thread i agree yep you know, you know um so but i won't i won't, I won't get into bashing drama schools this early in there <laughs> not, not this episode yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me david is there a uh, has there been a piece of acting on stage or screen that you've seen that has really blown you away Something that stayed with your performance. Sort of like what are like the most inspirational things that I've seen? You mean? Yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be the most, but whatever may come to mind from that question or, or something that 
you you've kind of never forgotten that you that you may have seen. Oh, plenty. I mean, I think especially in terms of musical theater, I think a lot of kids remember sort of some of the first shows that they've seen, the first Broadway show, the first West End show. Although ironically, my first West End show was uh, what was it? Never forget the Take That musical. Oh wow! First West End show. Yes, that was your introduction to the West End. It was uh, was right. not bad either. I, we have no idea who Take That are, are in America. <laughs> Any one of the members of Take That could walk around anywhere in America. Nobody would know who they are. There's some, same is true for some American bands, but Take That, yep, they can go anywhere in America. We have no idea who they are. <laughs> That's not for them lack of trying. It's just why they were huge over here. Why would they need to be famous in America? I still enjoyed the show for what it was, though. <laughs> um, but no, so, so growing like up, like, say what? Shout out to Take That. <laughs> Exactly. Thanks for listening, boys. We appreciate it. Um, so, no, I can remember, I have vivid memories of my parents taking me to see a production of Peter Pan in the park. Now, when I say Peter Pan, I'm talking a proper production, the stage play. We don't do pantomime in America, all right? So get the pantomime version out of your head. This is like the stage musical. And I can remember, you know, Peter Pan flying out over our heads. And this was like an outdoor theater as well. They really went to town with the theatrics. And I was, my dad said I was two years old. And I said, you're kidding me. I, have, I still have mental images of, you know, Peter Pan flying over the audience and throwing fairy dust on us. So that was, a, that was my earliest recollection of theater. And it, it was inspirational enough to have stayed with me. Yeah. And then sort of the show that got me the bug, like my parents were good at when they could see an interest in me, taking me to, you know, shows here and there. My dad took me to see Nutcracker at Christmas one year. Um, but then I can remember my high school did Fiddler on the Roof. Beautiful piece. And it's one of those shows where don't know if they'd let a lot of you know schools particularly a catholic high school i went to catholic high school i wouldn't i don't know if they'd be allowed to do that nowadays but it was such an important piece to do it's uh, fiddler on the roof is always an important piece to do and for all these catholic school kids to be doing it on stage and to be putting themselves in those characters shoes i'm sure for that particular cast would have been extraordinarily important and a learning experience for them but i was blown away by this was a dramatic piece there was nothing I suppose there's some comedic pieces. I was in the fifth grade when they did that show. And they, so fifth grade, I would have been, I was 10 years old right. when they came and performed it to all the sort of like primary school age kids, what we'd call elementary school. They came and performed scenes from Phil on the Roof for us. The show's incredible. I had no idea you could tell a story like this. And I made my dad go and take me to see it. He's like, you want to go see Fiddler on the Roof? You know, to a 10 year old. And I'm like, yeah, it looked really cool. And I went and I ate up every second of that. Mm. And I wanted to go home and watch the film. And my mom's like, you're not going to want to watch the film. The film's like four hours long. It's not four hours long. It's a long film. But again, I was absolutely transfixed by it. And it, I was inspired. And I thought, I want to do more of that. I want to be on stage. I want to be telling stories like that. I want to inspire people. I want to teach people. All of those thoughts were kind of going through my head at the age of, age of 10. And... It's amazing because, you know, you talk about sort of how we we leave drama school and we enter the business and you don't become, well, I suppose you do become cynical and jaded to a certain degree. But in, in any time I talk to anybody in the business, especially on the American side, we all remember and think back to those days of the amateur shows, community theater. And we remember that some of the most inspirational moments we had were those first shows that we saw whether we were in them or whether we were watching them, because we were all just doing it for the fun of it. 
We all just did it because we loved it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, I wouldn't see my first Broadway show until I was in university. And I, my mom took me to see Gypsy with Bernadette Peters in New York. And that was a big deal to see my first Broadway show. Um, but until you see that quality, you have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. To me, these people on the Amateur Dramatics in Springfield, Ohio, were stars to me. And they still are. I still try to think of people who are doing that kind of work off their own bat. Especially, you know, I've, I've met people in amateur dramatics and high school theater who could have had a serious go in the business. They were that talented. And you do kind of miss those days and you miss seeing those individual shows. We do damn Yankees. We do Fiddler on the Roof. We do the music man sound of music and seeing them on stage done with that passion is some of the most inspirational theater I'll have ever seen. Amazing. And do you, do you have any acting inspirations? There's, there's someone that also, you, you follow the work of or follow the work of? Oh, I think every guy needs to aspire to be a Hugh Jackman and just be as versatile <laughs> as possible. <laughs> so you can go from playing Wolverine to playing the boy from Oz to going, you know, doing, you know, this action film and then going to playing, you know, Harold Hill and the Music Man and stuff like that. And who doesn't want to be that good looking and talented? You just want to <laughs> kill man. He's so good at what he does. So, yeah, he's a huge inspiration and people as well from like the film industry because you know, I grew up watching a lot of classic films. I was very lucky as a kid. My parents kept me pretty well-rounded with music and films. Uh, I will not turn any film down in terms of watching. I don't care how old it is. I don't care what genre it is. And you and I have worked with people like, you know, we used to have chats working at the Palladium, our old stomping grounds. Yeah. And I'd meet people who worked with us who'd say, oh, if a film's in black and white, I won't watch it. Oh, yeah. Like, That's You're cutting yourself off at the knees. You're cutting yourself off at a lot of art. A lot of brilliant art so like you know watch you know gregory peck was a huge inspiration for me as a performer on camera and off as well um and a lot of those films were you know hugely inspiration inspirational to me as pieces as well not just sitting in my home and watching them on dvd but in dayton ohio which was my nearest big city we had like classic film festivals where they wouldn't just show a film in a cinema like you would like on a Cineworld or a View here. You know how they're like once in a while these days, they'll be like, oh, it's the 50th anniversary of Godfather Part 1. We're going to show that at Cineworld. They put it like on a proper old school, like big screen in an American theater. They get an organ player to come up out of the orchestra pit and, and play music before the film started. You know, you get your, your Bugs Bunny cartoon before the film started. They have these classic film fests where they give you the whole treatment. I'm sure you could appreciate that as a film fan. And then it would play, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. First time I ever saw To Kill a Mockingbird was on the big screen in a proper, not just cinema experience, but an old school American cinema experience. Like you would have watched it in the 1940s, 50s. I'm not sure what year it came out, but you gather my point. Yeah. So, so yeah, and those yeah. actors were larger than life and a lot of them are hugely inspirational too. Fantastic. Um. Switching gears a little bit, so how how did the COVID pandemic affect your, well, how did it affect you creatively and then, and then personally, if you want to go into that? Well, I'll tell you what, it gave me time to um, discover a new love, which is that I'm a huge Disney freak and I didn't know it because <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus came out around that time. And my wife, April, um, insisted that um, we go to the Disney parks in 2019, just before all the craziness kicked off. So we went in March 2019. I loved it so much. I had to go back again that autumn with her. And I'm glad we did because then 
as we all know, a few months later, stuff was about to get crazy up in February 2020. So she took me to see the parks. I'd, I'd gone to the Florida parks as a kid and loved it. And I was didn't realize how inspired I was as a performer and as an artist until I was much older and could appreciate the, the work that Disney were doing there. So then when April said, oh, let's go to the Paris parks, I'm like, oh, man, the Paris parks are tiny. How That, that can't compare to the big huge american parks and i was incredibly wrong but we're very lucky to have the themed entertainment we do in this country in general and on mainland europe and the work that they do at disneyland paris is incredible so that rekindled my um, love with what they do in the parks but also that obviously reignited my nostalgia for the films and got me interested in some of their more obscure films as well so then having Disney Plus at my fingertips, I just went nuts and started watching all kinds of things that I'd never seen and ticked off a bucket list or stuff that I'd never even heard of and was just fascinating to me. And so now, consequently, so I'm in the same shoes you are right now, fella, which is we've also got a podcast that we've just started. Now, we don't need to go into the weeds of it because this is your podcast, fella. We're here to talk about your podcast here. <laughs> but essentially, like my wife and I are so wrapped up in the sort of Disney community. We've got a Disney fan uh, fan podcast, which there's plenty of those out there, but ours is the only one that we speak in Welsh. Wow. Um, so that's our little hook. But what's nice about that is that, and I'm sure you're discovering this with Don't Think Act, which is... This is now like a fun little pet project that we have in the meantime, while we're still auditioning for things and doing our day jobs and stuff like that. And it's, it's something that you don't have to, yeah, I've got a lot of friends who try to produce their own stage work. That takes a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of money. And sometimes you don't want to be spending half your year coming up with a one man show to take to a French festival when you'd much rather just be preparing for auditions and just making money doing something else. And so when I stumbled upon, I don't, I don't know if you, I'll be interested to hear your take on this with starting your podcast, but all of a sudden April and I are excited because this is something we could do in our spare time. You can record it when you need to, you can edit it when you need to, you can release it when you need to. And you just hope a few people listen to it. They get something out of it. And Hey, if you're the kind of the right artist like you and I are fella, then you get something out of it as well for yourself. You get that creative inspiration. You get, or, you know, hopefully by joining, like you said, a community base as well, because you touched on that already, haven't you? We didn't necessarily have the means to do work like this, you and I, podcasting, a sort of social media life. And I'm not one who cares for social media at all. I don't think it's a great influence or a great, you know, boon to us as a humanity. But for things like what you and I are doing, we can put an awful lot of great content out there, positive content, and you, you know, hopefully inspirational content as well so that's covid kind of helped me do that it's covid reignited my love of disney culture i haven't forgotten any of my other sort of loves of film and theater and stuff like that but i thought oh that's something that april and i could do together because we both love disney films and parks and so that's led to the podcast and that's led to you know where we are now where we've got this little pet project to help us in the sort of quiet times and, and you've learned welsh <laughs> yeah, Lord knows how I did, because um, it's a hard Mandarin Chinese is easier than Welsh, and <laughs> um, but yeah, I have picked up Welsh since I've moved to Wales because because my wife because again she grew up here in North Wales and she had it a little bit in school, but 
when we moved back here in 2016, we thought, oh, let's both learn the language together. Maybe it'll lead to more work. And so far, it, it kind of has not, not any new acting work yet because we're not fluent yet. But um, it's at least led to more opportunities into this particular podcast and to some of the deeper Welsh communities as well. That's fantastic, David. I had I had a sneaky little listen um, for the podcast with my wife because her mother is from Wales. Um, oh, really? So, I didn't realize that, man. That's very cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and um, I've now got family living over there as well. Um, okay. And I've recently moved there. Um, so, yeah, I've, Wales is a sort of, um, that's great. It's, yeah, it's got a piece of my heart for sure. And um, yeah. the fact that you, you've got this sort of, because yeah, it's, it's you know it's a very specific it's for a very specific audience as well which is really not kind of nice actually uh, um, it's very niche but it's, it's pretty cool yeah it's pretty fun at the same time yeah that's that's really wonderful and that and, that, and it's great that, that sort of you know i think people are still finding their way out of covid people are still getting over yeah coming totally. to terms with the fact that we went through all that um mm-hmm. and it's still around and it's still affecting people and there's long covid and um there's the stuff that mm-hmm. we're not going to know about for years as to what you know what that disease did um and um sorry virus disease might be too strong of a word um but uh the the fact that i imagine hopefully as i as do more of these i will hear more of these kind of stories that we, we've got something positive that has come from it from this right, right, sort of like totally. you reconnecting with Disney, uh, and then that leading on to this podcast project, which is which is giving exactly, you exactly yeah. now. You know, at, at the time we really didn't know what to do with ourselves, and it was turning to TV, sure. books, and, and and whatnot. Um, but uh, the fact that you know we can get something positive out of it is is you know small small compensation for the for the huge loss, obviously, but um. Well, like we were saying before, you, you kind of have to adapt at the end of the day, don't you? Yeah. And on a selfish level, one of the other cool things that came out of COVID was, especially for, because every once in a while I do dip my toes back into the American industry as well, because uh, I'm a dual citizen now, and so I can come and go as I please. Um, but um, there's so many more companies that now just take self-tapes for things. Mm. And I'm not going to lie, being based in North Wales, if I don't have to shell out over a hundred pounds nowadays to get a train to London for an audition, I will take that self-tape audition. So that's kind of the other sort of more practical, (laughs) selfish thing that I like about it is you get to audition for more things, whether it's in America or things down in London or Manchester. Yeah. And uh, so as long as you're sort of, keen to learn video editing technology and, and so long as you can pimp out your small apartment enough to do a cheeky self-tape then it's you can you can excel in that as well back thanks for returning <laughs> thank you i had my second thoughts about it you know i thought oh maybe i should just head for the hills no, <laughs> it just it's really weird i just uh, i just switched my phone on to check some messages and um uh and i saw on twitter that uh disney plus is changing its, yeah. is is changing its uk pricing after losing 11.7 million customers internationally Shame, I did read about that. To be fair, wow, it's not the streaming's not sustainable. I don't think is it. It's got something's got to give at some point. 
Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen with it as well. I, I I like the stuff they do on there. Like, I'm not as big a Marvel fan or Star Wars fan, so most of the stuff that's on there is not kind of relevant to me. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. It's, it's handy while it's here, so I hope it does last. But surely if they put their prices up, that's just going to push more people out rather than bring people in. I think they're going the Netflix route of offering a cheaper price with adverts. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To entice people. Um, but, uh, um, right, so let's dive back into uh, the create chat. Um, yeah, sure. What part of acting do you love? What I love about acting is the storytelling aspect of it. It's the creation aspect of it. Um, I had a friend, I have a friend who was a mutual friend of uh, the late Carol Channing. His name is a gentleman named Chip Defaw, who I worked with in New York. But he said um, that one of the one of his favorite quotes from Ms. Channing before she passed away was she said, create something new every day. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is something that I need to live by. I do need to. And again, that's exactly what you and I are doing with these, with the, the work you and I are doing right now. Um, so those are the big things. You know, initially, I had the same sort of addiction to it that a lot of people have. I loved hearing the applause. I loved the feedback that I got from people. But again, at, at an early age, a lot of that was because, again, I was awful at sports. I did not. I wasn't good in school. I did not have a lot of things that people could sort of cheer me on with. And so that pull of theater, that allure of theater, it's like, oh man, not only is this really good fun, but I'm actually really good at this too. I think everybody needs something like that in their life. There's something that everybody's good at. If you can find that and find passion in it, doesn't matter what industry it's in, that's hugely important. And so I think that's still the main reason I do it. It's I've, I'm, you know, I I do well in it, and I've been trained to do well in it. And it's nice to do something that you feel like you fit into, and that it's it doesn't matter. You know, I've got you know relatives who are, you know, carpenters who are builders, and they 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 do that like it's a sixth sense, and they love it, and they love doing it, and they wouldn't want to do anything else because they found something that they love, and it's like yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's that's the main reason. It's like I said, I also like how you know theater and the arts can inspire people and can educate people. And it's always nice to be a part of something like that that helps change lives or that helps inspire people in their daily lives. And let's face it, at the end of the day, that's really all we do as artists. We we are storytellers and we make life worth, you know, entertainment is what sustains us as human beings it's not we all need to eat we all need to work we all need to breathe you know but when you're not doing that then what do you do you know we have to we we tap back into our ancient roots and we all just sort of sit around a fire and we just tell stories to each other anything we do is just variations of that isn't it really 100 percent. god i just yeah i feel exactly the same no that was beautifully put david thank you so much it was it's so true um yeah and i i mirrors a lot with me i too i was not academic i was not particularly sporty um but there was this thing that i tapped into at a young age getting into drama that mm -hmm. just, just was like yeah storytelling and it's as i said to many people you know storytelling is it's as old as eating hunting and fucking it's like that's the next thing yeah. after um you know it's yep. just it's just what we naturally did and it's how people learn about things and yeah. it's still how we teach um yeah i had a, Absolutely. 
uh, during during lockdown, I had a Zoom with uh, an old acting teacher of mine uh, of the theatre group we used to go to, um, and um, he was doing a thing for the for his theatre group, uh, the, uh, the company Theatre Train. They're all over the UK, so it was yeah, a sure, sure. youth theatre group I used to go to when I was yep. a kid. And um, uh, he wanted to know from ex students who are, who are now in the business, like what they took what they took away from their time there. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. I learned the word and the meaning of empathy. And I don't think... Totally. I don't think anybody could have sat me down and told it to me in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way or in an intellectual way or an academic way. Like, I learned it through doing drama. And, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is something sort of, I'm very switched on about. And empathy is something I put into all my work and into my characters yeah. and into, into my writing as well. And I think it's such an important thing um that if you can grasp that and that's not to say like you know i'm a saint or anything but it makes you a better person knowing these things um i completely agree and that's a a excellent word as well empathy and i sort of i think that's a word that i was sort of reaching for my subconscious but that's spot on and like i said a perfect example of that just to sort of go back to a show that i mentioned already was fiddler on the roof like you know nowadays it's i understand absolutely why some Production companies want to be very specific with how they cast certain shows in terms of ethnic diversity, religious diversity. If I was to go and see Fiddler on the Roof in New York, I would expect to be a majority, if not all, Jewish-American cast. You would think that would make sense in terms of how you would cast that show. Um, you know, one person's lived experience is not necessarily the same as somebody else's lived experience. Um, you know, and – but – I would never tell, like I said, a high school of like, you know, Catholic school kids or a school of Protestant kids don't do fit on the roof for exactly this reason that you just mentioned, empathy. It's important to put, especially at that age, it's a great learning tool for trying to – now, if you were going to do the show just to like play up to like stereotypes or something, terrible reason to do the show. If you want to do what my high school did, like I said, when I was that 10-year-old kid in the audience – if you are doing that show to do it, it's do justice and to give that show its full credit and to tell that story properly, that is a fabulous learning tool for the kids who are putting that on. I don't care what religion they are. And it's a fabulous learning tool for empathy as well for the audience who are watching it, especially because it's mostly going to be the Catholic parents and friends and family going to see the show as well. And I don't think you can put a price on that at all. So I'm glad you said the word empathy because I, I completely agree with that. That's that's what we that's what we do as performers isn't it so is there a part of acting that you do not love oh a lot of it yeah of course <laughs> it's it's some of the stuff that i hate some of the stuff that i love as well like at the end of the day this is show business right but there are many parts of the business of show business that i actually really like and there's parts of it that i absolutely don't like um obviously i don't like how saturated the market is with actors i would love it if there was a heck of a lot less you know male white actors out there so that i could get more work you know that would make life a lot easier in addition to that it's you know one of the reasons that april and i left london and came back to wales there's many reasons of course you know you know family space clean air all kinds of stuff but one of the things that i don't miss from the big city life is hearing about all the auditions i'm missing out on I don't miss going to our front of house jobs and hearing, oh, I auditioned for Phantom the other day. Oh, great. I didn't. I auditioned for Phantom today. Great. Or, <laughs> or you know, Lion King. Great. I didn't. Um, so 
I'm kind of don't miss talking about the business all the time with people and hearing what I'm missing out on. I'd much rather come and do my own thing, have my own space and make my own work and just I sink or swim based on that. So there's kind of there's that part of it. Um, what I don't like specifically about um the UK and there's many reasons for the UK to sort of toot its own horn in terms of some of the work that it does. But um, because this is a smaller industry here, I've always felt it was much more cutthroat here than the States and the States can get pretty cutthroat sometimes, but most of the people that I end up working with in the States, um, you know, it's, it felt like they were more my colleagues than my competition. And I always felt like it was less, or more so the other way in the UK. Because again, there's a lot of actors here not competing for an awful lot of jobs at the end of the day. So that part's that part's tricky. And obviously, as you know, as, as you well known as any other performers who are listening to this know, you're in an industry where it's it's your job to audition. That's our job. Our job is if we're lucky, once in a while we get to perform. But for the most part, an actor's job is to audition. And all it takes is one yes, of course, but you have to get ready to hear an awful lot of an awful lot of no's well, and that takes a yeah go on no no go on i was gonna say that 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 takes patience and perseverance and that's something that people don't even learn even well into their 40s and 50s and it's you know some people drop out of the industry because of that and if you're but if you're lucky you learn to sort of roll with the punches of that and you know i could pick out lots of little lots of little particular details about the industry, all that kind of casting, this type of casting director makes me nuts or that type of casting drives me insane. But at the end of the day, it's everybody's different. Everything is subjective in this industry. And you just kind of, you got to be you at the end of the day, you know, there are, are successful artists out there, like, you know, the great Sarah Bogus from New York, who one of the things she drills into up and coming actors is they said, you need to learn how to be you. Now that sounds so trite and it sounds so, it sounds like such a throwaway easy line to say, Oh, just be yourself. Cause we hear that all the time. When you really stop and think about it, it's, there's a whole sea of people out there that look like you, that sound like you, and you're going to see all of them at, at these auditions. And you need to find out the thing that makes you, you. It's like, you don't need to be anybody else. You know, because they're going to do themselves a heck of a lot better than you. You just need to be you. You are enough. And but that's again, that's something that's easier said than done. And that's something you got to kind of learn what that means as you go through the business and hope that you learn what that means um, as you go along and you and you sort of learn, learn as you go. I think, I think the UK is slowly coming around to that. I think there's still a lot of, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we're the UK, and we, we're, we're, we're so, you know, we're self-deprecating, and we're, we're apologetic. Yeah. You know, there was great. I heard on another podcast the other day. There was a wonderful example of the difference between an, uh, uh, an American actor, and well, difference between uh, difference between American actor and English actor, or, or just an American uh, English person. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like an American would be like, "Hey, it's me. I'm in the room." Like walks to the room, like I'm here. How's it going? And then an English person walking and be like, "Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to come in here. I, I, I must have like read the sign." Totally, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and I think that is, I think that is changing. I think that's evolving. Having um, worked with a lot of Americans and um, spent time with a, 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 um, a, a an acting coach, Melee, like it's it's interesting. Yeah. That there seems to be more like people will give you a chance in America. They're very proactive. They'll, they'll give you one shot. 
Like here, yeah. here it's so much who you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and not what you know. And um, there does seem to be like a, you know a very few gatekeepers, and, it, and it's 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 hard to crack. And, and people, I think, I think in general, like the differences between the two cultures are like. Americans are very encouraging. You've been nothing but encouraging about this podcast since you've been speaking, David. Like it's it's very it's very fascinating. And I mm. think like we um uh someone that went to America for a short time, uh just like on a holiday, uh yeah. he went to check it out because he was thinking about moving to uh New York. And they said sure. they and he was and they were like, Who just got chatting to someone in a in a bar or a cafe? And he was like, I'm thinking of moving to New York. Um, like, oh, great. What do you do? Oh, um, you know, well, I'm a musician. I play the band. Oh, yeah, well, I know this guy. You should, I'll put you in touch with my friend because he knows people. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of conversation doesn't happen in this country. It doesn't happen in London. Um, yeah. And it, it, it is changing. There are there are people who are interested in, in, in looking at what they can do for someone else rather than what they can do for themselves immediately. Um, I don't paint right. a picture of a you know where everyone is completely selfish, and but um, no, I wouldn't say it's that at all. No, no but no. but but um, I I do find that you know, cause I I love going to network and meet um, um meet totally, and, yeah. and meet. I love meeting creative people. This is why I start this podcast to to to, to chat creativity with loads of people. Um, I love finding out about what people do, and hopefully this can be a platform to 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 offer people a chance to connect with others. But sure, if sure. you do, you will always meet one or two people at the party. I mean, I've been I've been at a networking party where someone just walked up to me with a yeah. um, business card, little silver box, flipped it open, and went, "So, do you want to take a card?" <laughs> okay. And then I took a card, and then they walked off. And to them, that was their idea of networking. And, um, right, 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 and, right. Like that—that that is the thing that I think people were still like really unsure about. Like people don't know how to network, and they—they they also think it's a really big like. A, uh, it needs to be a big deal, and you need to constantly be selling yourself. Whereas you just need to find people that have similar interests with you, create. Yeah, um, I agree. And just talk yeah. about those things, and that might lead to something, and it might not. And it's not about yeah. you going to get cast in something or you going to get your directing job or you going to be option to write a screenplay for someone. It's just like, it's really important to, to find out what people are doing. What stories do people want to tell at the moment? Yeah. Um, and, how can, and how can we help each other advance? Sorry, I went on a real rant there. <laughs> No, that that no, well, no, because what you're saying is spot on, and I do hope that is a mentality. Like you said, I don't think it's a selfish mentality that that's not done as much in the UK. It's just not part of of uh, of the culture here. Because you're right, in the states, for all of its flaws, like my first professional job I did in the states, um, I got from a friend that I worked in amateur dramatics. We both auditioned for it. He got cast first. The director looked at our CVs and said, oh, I saw you guys were in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, back in 99. Would you recommend him for the job? And he'd say, yeah, this guy and I weren't even close friends. We got along. But he thought enough of me. He said, yeah, you should hire him. Boom. There's my first professional job. I couldn't tell you when that kind of thing has very often happened here. And, I, you know, my first job outside of university, you know, I met, uh, again, my friend uh, Chip Defong, who I mentioned on, on the program already. And um, I stage managed for a show of his there. But he also saw me performing for that same company at, at the time. 
and said, oh, I'd love for you to do one of my shows someday. He said, you've got a great voice. You should come and record for one of my albums sometime. It's that kind of thing. Like you said, it's that's different from going and trying to sell yourself. It's not the sort of social media. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, um what do people call themselves on social media? Influencer. That's not the sort of influencer vibe where you feel like you constantly have to go out there and put yourself out. It's sometimes it's just going to parties, going to shows, meeting people, shaking hands, and just talking to people. You don't have to constantly be bragging about yourself or constantly talking about what what are you working on right now? What are you what are you what are you moving on to? What are you doing later this year? Sometimes it doesn't matter. It's just yeah. oh, are you a performer? That's cool. What kind of stuff do you like? And like you said, um, that kind of networking as opposed to you know, feeling like you're constantly having to hustle while you're out there. And that's, there's a difference, isn't there? So um, we, you, talk, you talked about auditioning earlier. How do you, how do you deal with rejection? Just a lot of practice. Cause as an actor, you got to get good at it. <laughs> um, what you need to not do is what I did, which is, and this, again, this is easier said than done for like all of my twenties. Every time I didn't hear back from an audition, I thought, what did I do wrong? Mm. And especially if, you know, if you come of, if you've gone through drama school, if you've got, if you've, if you're good enough to get an agent, go through drama school, if you're good enough to have a good solid CV, you know, at that point, you should not be walking into the room and saying, what have I done wrong? Most likely the question is, it doesn't matter. Let's move on to the next one. Because why you didn't get it is probably because you just weren't tall enough, just weren't short enough. You didn't, you know, and I, yeah, I've been in the casting room when that has happened to me i can remember oh what's the company up in walthamstow who do i don't know if they still do any fringe musical theater um they did when i was living in london oh, what's the company i will not remember the name of the company for the life of me but uh, they did a lot of good work there they did a production of into the woods and i got down to the final two for the baker for that and the writing was on the wall at the audition there was this whole row there was these two rows of women some in their 50s some in their 20s for the baker's wife right and i was stood with all of the baker's wives who were in their 20s and there was an older guy who was the other it was down to he and i for the baker he was in his 50s mm-hmm. stood next to this whole row and we were constantly reading with all the different women who were being called back for that i thought ah the writing's on the wall whichever baker's wife they go with that's how they're going to cast the baker to go with them Wow. They cast one of the older ones, they'll go with the older baker. They cast one of the younger baker's wives, they'll go with me. They went with an older baker's wife, so they went with him. And it was just, it was pretty obvious, even just standing in the room, that's how this is going to go. I got a 50-50 shot. If one of these ladies gets it, he's got it. If one of these, I do. It's, and that is, in a nutshell, especially in musical theater, how this industry works. It's nothing personal. It's nothing against your talent. It just is purely who's right for the job and if you are working with a great casting director and director of the piece it's it's beyond that as well it's who can tell the story the best and let's face it when the art that we're auditioning for is working right when it's for the right kind of west end show or film and the directors and producers and casting directors know what they're doing ideally that's that's how they're casting it it's not has nothing to do with your looks it has nothing to do with your talent it's just you know, which cast. And again, that's something that's that I had to get used to in this country as well. If I went and auditioned for musical theater in the States, depending on what kind of company it is, um, I would read with other people in the room and I would do callbacks that would last all day long, like a like a 12 hour process mm-hmm. and read with different people. We get seen how we look next to each other. I couldn't tell you the last time I was cast in a show where I was 
in the room with everybody else uh, was and, and to me that's very weird it's like okay so for instance you know you want to cast say you're doing a production of aladdin disney's aladdin you've got why wouldn't you want to see your aladdin and jasmine standing next to each other in the room yeah and maybe for that particular show they do but as an example i've been to so many I've auditioned for so many companies where it's like, oh yeah, you'll do for this one, you'll do for this part, but they never actually stand together in a room. How do you, how do you cast a show like that? So I did more of that kind of thing in the states and and less here. Um, I can't remember why I brought up that specific thing. It's just kind of an interesting observation. It's more common in uh, for screen that you get like chemistry auditions, chemistry read-throughs. Kind of, yeah, that's a great way to put a chemistry yeah, auditions. Yeah, um, it's more common in the states than here, I would say. But um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I tell you, if any actors listen to this, if it's, I tell you, if there's one thing out of the many podcasts I'll record, if there's one thing I'd like to have to take away right now, is if they've just had an audition, they've been to audition this week, um, and they didn't get a role, like, don't think you're not talented. Like, you wouldn't have got in yeah. the room. You wouldn't have got asked to be part of the casting process if someone didn't think you had something to offer. You don't, totally. you don't get that far. Like it's so in, it's so important for for people to understand that it's really hard starting out to, to like rejection is just it is the absolute worst. Um, and for some people, it doesn't get easier. Like if I, you're lucky, you you grow with maturity, you grow with age and wisdom. But again, that's easier said than done, too, isn't it? Yeah. So, do you have a preparation ritual? Before you might go on stage or do a scene on screen or something, yeah, or, or are you superstitious at all? Oh, so if you no, no, I'm not superstitious at all. No, and I come from a superstitious family. <laughs> um, but no, once you're sort of lucky enough to get the actual job, no, it's as I get older, like I need to make sure I do yoga and stuff like that, so I don't throw my back out in the middle of a scene, yeah. especially if I'm doing pantomime, which as an American I've been lucky enough to do a few times now. Don't ask me why they hire an American to do pantomime. It's like hiring a British person to play John Wayne. It's like, why the heck would you do that? You know. <laughs> but hey, I'll take the work. I'll take the work. I will. <laughs> um, and I work with some lovely companies who do that. But I, uh, I try to find my own ritual. If I work for a company that doesn't sort of do its own warm up, I think it's important for a company to warm up together, play theater games with each other. Mm. Um, I worked for a company called The Big Tiny last Christmas, and they do some phenomenal pantomime work. And we did theater games together. We played with each other. We sang with each other. We joked with each other before going on stage. And that was, I, that's an important to do. So if you can't do that kind of thing, it's, it's, yeah, you kind of, you know, routine is good, but, you know, make sure, I know this sounds simple and straightforward, but just, you know, just make it sure you warm yourself up. I know that sounds like something that every actor should do, but I don't do anything special beyond doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you what ritual I do do that I don't do before a show or before a taping, but I will tell you something that I do that I think every actor should do, especially if they're in a long running show. Um, I always find five seconds in a show where I can stand in the wings and I can watch what's going on stage more if I can, but I always find a, you don't want to be stuck in the dressing room on your phone for too long because a you might miss a scene and b you bore yourself silly. So I was trying to find moments where I could sneak backstage and watch the show, and the more I can, the better. But I always like to take at least five minutes every performance, whether it's a matinee or an evening show, and I watch and I marvel at what the other actors are doing on stage and think what they're doing is amazing. They're incredible at what they do, and 
isn't this great that I'm right here and I'm not stuck behind a desk or I'm not, you know, pouring, pulling a pint. I'm not doing a customer service job as much as I'm appreciative for my side gigs and my side hustles and things like that. I, every single performance, I don't care how long the run is. I make sure I take at least five seconds, 10 seconds to stand in the wings, soak up what's going on on stage and be grateful for the for the um the privilege of being there and working with that company working on that particular show because every show could be my last mm. you know you never know what this industry is going to do you never know which direction your life is going to go so you know even as recently as the like i said the panto i did last christmas i made sure every single show i just stood in the wings and soaked it up and i recommend every actor do that because a it, i think it helps to keep you grounded a bit b it helps you to focus a little bit before going on stage and like i said c it's mostly to be appreciative of where you are at that point gratitude very important yep so yep yeah that's that beautiful david god smashing this podcast loving this um has the act so how yeah through your observations how do you think the, the acting or the business has changed since you started The thing that I notice mostly lately is just kind of and what kind of art people are putting out there. You know, as we speak, I think the last film I saw in the cinema was Barbie. So for those of you who are listening to this 10, 15 years down the road, for <laughs> posterity's sake, that will date this podcast very nicely. And I love the messages that are going out in films like that nowadays. But I also find I, this is just me being a bit stuck up as an artist i just find the sort of vessel that it comes in just a little bit silly i didn't think the concept for a barbie film was that silly until i read that mattel are also planning on the off the success of barbie about releasing a film based on their hot wheels franchise and their poly pocket franchise and i'm like okay you're really not taking this serious i believe they've greenlit it's... 16 other projects off the back of i mean but it just, i'd it rather just, have it just got, yeah, they just made a billion dollars didn't they like well, well, oh yeah, and it's not that it's undeserving. The cast are phenomenal. Like I said, the message in it is obviously phenomenal and important. But it's and I, I will say I was pretty excited about the vibe of the cinema when I went to go and see it. I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw. I don't think I've ever been to cinema that packed in the UK in my sixteen years here. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to see people excited about going back to the cinema. It's it's not my kind of film. I I want the next Godfather. I want the next To Kill a Mockingbird. I want the next. You know, and that's in and that's in all areas of musical theater. You know, there's nothing on Broadway these days that interests me as a musical theater person. It's, you know, what can we rehash that's either, you know, that's a remake or that's a nostalgia movement and it's making the 80th Star Wars film. And it's not that great art doesn't come out of that. It's just that it's extremely hard for anything influential to come out of there and to be the next, not just good thing, but great thing. I just find it all a bit boring. You know, TV is all a bit samey to me. Uh, that's all kind of changed in my lifetime, not just as a performer, but as a fan. Uh, I would just like to see stuff that's just a little bit more intellectually stimulating out mm. there. Not every show needs to be an original musical, you know, but it uh, it just needs to have a little bit more. But everything once was originality to it. Everything you know? once was an original musical. Everything once was written for the first time. Do you know what I mean? So these things that have lasted well, a lifetime. Yeah. Like, I think, like, I always say this about West End Theatre, um, and I'm not, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge Shakespeare person. I've got a huge, okay. a huge admiration 
for Shakespeare as well. There's no, no doubt. He's a talented writer. Um, it's just, it's just not always for me. There's some things I love and some things I'm not so crazy about. But like, okay. the, like I always say, how are we going to find the next Shakespeare? Like, why is it just going to be one person exactly, yeah. that we are just going to keep um, reha- rehashing versions of? And there's been some great updated versions of his work. And, I, and, I, and, and not yeah. just Shakespeare, it's a bit mean to pick on just Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare, Chekhov, Brecht, like, you know, the staples of, of theatre, like, that. we need to be making room for, for for someone to be the next version of that, you know? Sure, sure. sure. Um, and uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think we don't help ourselves sometimes, is there? Yeah, it's kind of ironic. I was joking with my dad about this the other day. We used to, my brother and I used to tease my grandpa growing up because he used to watch the same tired war movies over and over again every day. We used to think, Grandpa, what's wrong with you? Why are you watching the same thing again? And then cut to my generation, two generations later. Here's another Spider-Man film. Here's, you know, re- you know, here's rejuvenating this TV show that I thought finished 10 years ago. Here's us basically watching the same stuff over and over again. It's like, okay, we're just as bad. Here's another Star Wars film. And again, not that you still can't great art. Get, It's not that you still can't get great art out of that. It's just, you know, we're just as bad in terms of our sort of our sense of nostalgia and what we want. But what you're saying is absolutely true about we need to, you know, finding the next Shakespeare, finding the next... Uh, great artists and one thing i will say about what's great about the woke movement at the moment the woke movement at the moment and i don't know i'm like a lot of people i don't have a lot of great things to say about the woke movement but one thing that it will hopefully succeed in doing is by putting by making more parts and jobs available to people who aren't who are traditionally neglected by the business now, again, you can argue about the merits of it, how it's implemented sometimes, whether it's genuine or not genuine. But what it will do, I hope, is that it will show people of different walks of life who never thought that the theater business could be for them or that the film industry could be for them, that they could look at that and go, oh, I'm allowed to do that now, too. Awesome. It doesn't matter what background or walk of life you're from. And that is one sort of exciting thing about making our films more diverse and really about making our theater more diverse. I think theater to a certain degree more than film and television has always strived to be diverse um, over the generations. There's many examples of that certainly on Broadway in the States, but obviously we're getting better and better at that every day. But what will be great is if we tap into some of these cultures and neighborhoods and pockets of the UK, pockets of Europe, pockets of the States, that are traditionally neglected by the theater arts, what will be as exciting as to see is when the next few generations come up, who this is being shown to as, you're allowed to be in this business too. You're allowed to contribute to this business, whether as a performer, as a director, but also as a writer. I hope we start hearing more stories from all across the world that haven't been heard before. And I'm hoping that that's, you know, what we'll, you know, we'll see in generations to come with any luck. Yeah, for me, it's definitely about creating that equal opportunity. That's what it needs to be, that everyone's got the same shot as everyone else, regardless of where they come from. But, you know. Yeah. And again, regardless of what your intentions are, because, you know, some companies do it to, you know, save face. Some companies do it because they genuinely want to make their shows more diverse. But regardless, I'm hoping that regardless of the cynicism or the positivity of it, my hope is that, 
regardless, more more young budding potential performers and creatives are coming up in these younger generations and are seeing that regardless and are going, ah, that's for me. I'm allowed to do that now too, regardless of what background they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Great. What's what's something you've, you that you'd like to achieve but you haven't yet? What is what is there something you can see that you there's something un, um, unfinished for you creatively? I would like to do at least one show in back in the States that my family can come and see. Oh. It's a pretty small ask. I don't aspire to be on Broadway. I don't aspire to be on the West End. I've learned to stop making expectations for myself. Just be thankful for what the business gives you, if it gives you anything, and be grateful for anything that comes your way. But I would love, you know, I've done a few really cool, you know, commercials and short film gigs that I'm very proud of, but, you know... The only thing that my family has seen me in sort of after university is a KFC commercial that they saw on YouTube, you know, which they were really proud of that I did. But it's like I'd love to give my family something, whether it's like a a walk on two lines on a feature film or like an actual like a stage show credit in the States again. Um, so that's kind of like the sort of small ask that I'd like to have, you know, one more time in my life. But other than that, I don't I don't really have any aspirations, fella. Again, if you're lucky enough to get to where you and I are in the business the sort of you know winners forget they're in a race they just they just love to run you know and that's where i try to go always although now with this podcast i'm doing that's a different story all right because i'm trying to push the welsh language with it we've got this running gag on the podcast where or eventually we're going to where oh we'd love to have um there's a there's a very unknown um, Disney film that's set in Wales, or at least it's based on Welsh culture. And the reason nobody knows about it is because it's kind of a crap film and it kind of almost take the company in the mid eighties. It's one of their animated films called the black cauldron. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of a cult hit. It's, it's, it's a very Marmite film, you know? And so consequently we named our podcast, the Disney cauldron, or it's called Krachan Disney in, in Welsh. So it's kind of a play on that title. So our kind of tongue in cheek, goal for the podcast is is this a professional goal do i actually mean this i don't know our professional goal is to get disney plus to have welsh subtitles for the black cauldron on disney plus so that's step number one wow step number two is just to have more films with welsh subtitles i mean hey ryan reynolds and rob McElhenney are making it look cool right now if you're football fans yes. you know exactly what i mean yeah they're making welsh look cool. love that our our our, our next sort of step is to get Princess Elanwi, who's the princess in that, to be officially named a Disney princess. And uh, finally, we'd like to work. I thought, well, I'm going to make this podcast big enough that everybody's going to take notice. And I'm going to get Disney to remake The Black Cauldron into a live action film in Welsh. That's my goal. I don't think anything's these things are actually going to happen. But since I don't really have any like real professional aspirations in my actual acting life, <laughs> I thought, oh, this could be like a running gag in the podcast that I do. Let's see if we can actually do these half seriously, half as a joke, and see if we can get anything uh, to, to fruition. I, I don't see why that's not achievable, Bob Iger. If you're listening. Um, and you are. Let's face it, you are. <laughs> Between you and take that, and <laughs> yeah. you're all listening. So please, yeah, yeah just, just just pay, just pay attention, guys. Yeah, like that. That I think that's a wonderful thing to aspire to. And why not? Who knows? Who knows? You know, Who knows? never say that, never about anything. Anything is possible. I mean, 
if you told if you told us ten years ago they were making a Barbie movie, you would laugh in their faces, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or again, if you told me like even a few years ago that you know more Americans would be interested in learning a Celtic language like Welsh, it's you know that's kind of crazy. Now I promised I wouldn't go on too much about my podcast, but I mean, yeah, to, to that, generally, that is kind of that that sort of culture in the side of the industry is in my purview these days. So it is kind of, you know, considering, like I said, considering I have no actual aspirations otherwise, I thought, ah, let's, you know, let's, let's shoot for the stars with, with this one, with our podcast. So it's your good company, fella. You're good. Company. Oh, so are you. This has been wonderful. Um, right. So cool. Uh, so I'm going to finish with um, some rapid fire questions uh, inspired, okay, hit me. inspired by um, the great French interviewer, Bernard Pivot, who inspired oh, yes. Oh, yes. my interviewing uh, hero, which was James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. Oh, yes. Um, so I will never not mention those two um, because this, this this ending questionnaire, I think, is perfect to in any interview. Uh, Very cool. Any interview, rather. So I'll, I'll just hit you with them. So what is your favourite word? Ooh. Family. And what is your least favorite word? <laughs> Asparagus. <laughs> First thing that's popped into my mind. Lovely. I don't like asparagus. All the word. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Is this one word as well? Doesn't have to be. Or does it have to? <laughs> um, it is people of different walks of life whether in agreement or disagreement, coming together and spending time in fellowship with each other, especially over art. Mm. And what turns you off? <laughs> oh, social media platforms and putting too much art on that. <laughs> and too much internet life. Yeah. What is your favorite swear word? Shithead. Nice. As the comedian Lewis Black says, that just feels good in the mouth, especially if you say it in an American accent. It just bounces back and forth. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Oh, what sound or noise do I love? Yeah, hearing a, a, a church choir quietly rehearsing in the corner of a cathedral. Oh, that's lovely. And what sound or noise do you hate? Easiest answer ever. A loud car engine. Oh, okay. I lived in New York. I've lived in London. Noisiest engines in the world are North Wales. Hate <laughs> that sound. And you got tractors. Um, <laughs> and sheep. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? If I was to go into something completely non-creative art to be um, into the travel industry, probably travel agent. Oh, interesting. And what profession would you not like to do? Uh, oh, footballer. Because <laughs> okay. A, I'd be terrible at it, and B, I cannot stand professional just, football. Just too much money, isn't there? I know, exactly. Who needs it? Who needs it? And finally, David, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when he arrived at the pearly gates? Here's the rest of your family. They're in the middle of a game of euchre. Join a table. Well, that's beautiful. David, you've been like such a wonderful guest. You've been inspiring. You've been very profound. 
Oh, you say that to all the ladies, it's I bet. Very funny. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for spending some time with me, chatting creativity, chewing the fat, talking shop. Um, is there anything you want to plug? I know I've mentioned your podcast, but. Oh, no, I, I plugged that enough. And it was a, it's a great excuse for hanging out. And like I said, we'll, with any luck, uh, we'll be able to do it face to face again sometime in the near future. So that was the wonderful David Herzog. Can you believe during that entire interview, I didn't ask him if there was any relation to Werner Herzog? I'm dropping the ball here, guys. I've got to be better. Um, here is just such a delight. And um, God, yeah, the whole being grateful, so important. You know, you've got to... The wins can be so few and far between um, in this business. You know, it can take a long time. It can take... You can get a job and you could be waiting a long time for the next one. Like, staying grateful, um, <laughs> getting an audition. Like, you, we've got to celebrate these small wins. We've got to keep going. I think... Um, I think getting Disney Plus to put some Welsh subtitles on isn't really a big ask. Um, I think we should get that campaign going now. And um, But, uh, yeah, I think it's... Obviously, it's down to the individual. And I think it's, it's you know, there's nothing wrong with dreaming big. Um, but there's also nothing wrong with being realistic. Um, it's hard. It's a numbers game. You know, these things have come up before in the pods already uh and um i think as long as we keep going then you know that is that is that is successful i think i think anthony hopkins said that um uh, over the last couple of years it's like you know if you want to know if you're a success then you're you're still in it but we measure it in different ways don't we we all have um different ideas about what success should be and we put those pressures on our on ourselves, you know. No, no one uh, turns up the pressure cooker more than we do f- for ourselves. So, um, yeah, let's try and remember to celebrate those small wins and uh, just yeah, stay creative, people. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. Oh, and uh, don't forget, uh, follow David's Instagram. Rohan Disney, that was my <laughs> terrible attempt at Welsh. Uh, I will link it in the show notes. Give his Instagram a follow. Give my Instagram a follow. Don't think act podcasts. Have a look for that. Um, I'm also still on Twitter. Uh, and I also still call it that. So I'm sorry, Elon. And uh, yeah, once again, stay creative. Big love, people. Big love.